Well, uh, guys, go ahead and put up that, that photo there on the back. Um, you've probably seen that if you spend any time on social media, okay? Uh, and if you grew up like I did, you probably had some older person tell you something like this. I'll say, it would say to me, boy, now you are getting the cart before the horse, right? And uh, that is a problem, right? You got the horse hooked up backwards. Uh, if you spend time on social media, you've probably seen a version of this photo, uh, usually with the cart and the horse labeled uh, with something. Uh, and I am far from being a horseman myself. My, my daughter spent a lot of time on horseback this summer as a camp counselor, but I am not exactly a horseman. I like horses. I think they're fun. Uh, they're, ex they're an expensive hobby that I don't have time for. Uh, but they're a, um, they're, they're, a, they're a fun thing. They're a spooky animal, though, and they do not like to back up. You can make a horse back up, but they don't like to do it. They don't like to go backwards. Their muscles really aren't designed to be very efficient going in reverse, right? And uh, they can accomplish, therefore, a whole lot more by pulling than by pushing. Uh, and the point here is very simple, that you have to put things together in the right way and in the right order in order for them to work the way that they are supposed to work. Amen? I think we can all understand that basic idea. And this concept is really important for us to understand because one of the things that I am learning is that lots of Christians, lots of Christians, try to live their Christian lives by performance. That they are striving to be holy and obedient to God so that then they can experience God's love and approval. But that is precisely backwards. That is putting the cart before the horse. And as here in this photo, it's not that you can't experience any change or, or movement in your Christian life striving for holiness. You can but it is a much more frustrating, uh, much more difficult experience than it is meant to be to live your Christian life that way. What we're meant to do instead is to do this, to experience and uh, to enjoy God's love for us first. And then, out of the joy that that produces to move forward in holiness and obedience. With God's love for us, in a sense, serving as the strong horse that is pulling us and enabling us and powerfully moving us closer in holiness to our Heavenly Father in holy obedience. In other words, what you know, and this is very, very true, that what you know and what you believe about God has a profound effect on your ability to live out your faith. Which brings us to the passage today that's given to us to help us to understand these things. So I want to look with you at the bigness of God's love, the sheer immensity of the love of God for you and I. 
and so I invite you, if you haven't found your way there yet, to find your way to the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. And if you'd stand as I read God's word. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, our Father, we pray that you would be glorified as we learn about your love this morning. Help us to understand even a little bit of the immensity of your love for us. How big your love really is. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, these verses are the pinnacle of the first three chapters of this book. They are here because Paul, as you know, what a, what a preacher is supposed to do is to worship their way through the text. Amen? He's supposed to lead God's people worshiping their way through the text. Well, Paul is writing and preaching to people God's Word as he is delivering it. And then he comes to a point where he is just overwhelmed by the magnificence of the truth that he has been proclaiming, and he's just overwhelmed, and he starts praying. And he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Now, now that may not seem unusual to you, but that is a very unusual thing for a Jewish man to do. Normally speaking, you don't see Jewish men in the Old Testament praying on their knees. You see it with Solomon. You see it maybe one or two other places. But the normal posture for prayer for Jews is to stand up. And you see that uh, even to this very day down at the, at the western wall of the, of the Temple Mount as Jews stand there at what's called the Wailing Wall and they cram their prayers in between the cracks in those rocks. They're standing when they do so. But Paul is literally dropped to his knees by the glory of God. He says, I kneel before the Father because he is overwhelmed with awe and wonder at the profound love of the God who has actually done these things he has spent three chapters discussing and explaining. You know, as I've met with and discipled lots of people, what I've found is that so many of us need to have Paul's prayer answered. We aren't sure exactly how chapters 1 through 3 relate to us about God's love for sinners. Other than that, we understand basically this. Well, the gospel is 
this message that if I believe it, then I am saved. And so we kind of breeze through chapter 3 and we go, okay, there's theology, 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 theology. Uh, there's more theology about the salvation of the Gentiles. How in the world does this all relate to me? And then we get to chapter 4 and we go, oh, now I know what to do. I'm supposed to do this stuff. I'm supposed to obey in all these ways. And what this prayer reveals is that the gospel itself fills us with God's presence as we continually grow in our experience of God's love. And it is that experience of growing and experiencing God's love that drives our Christian life forward. And it's vital for us to understand these things before we get to the practical part the alleged practical part, in the second half of the book. This is all the practical stuff. All of this is practical. The gospel is not just what gets you saved and then you do this other stuff all on your own. The gospel is God's love uh, expression, His and the first three chapters of this book are God's love letter to you and I. It is the practical stuff. It's not where you begin before you move on to obedience. The gospel is the reason and the means by which you obey. And I hope this is already making sense. But if not, look closely at the text with me. As Paul is praying, what you see is that he speaks first of the Father as the one from whom every family on, in heaven and on earth is named. It's a reminder that God is our Father. Don't take that for granted. He's our Father. God is not the angry D.I. in full metal jacket. Some of you men know what I'm talking about, right? The guy who is standing there belittling all of these recruits and telling them how worthless they all are, but uh, that somehow you have been let into the United States military, right? Who rules over like a tyrant the worthless people under his charge and uh, ensures that they rise up to his exact specifications. God is not like that. Lots of people maybe had a dad like that. And so when they read our Father in Heaven, that's what they're reading. But God is not like that. He's our Father who loves us, who brought us into His family by His choice. Your Heavenly Father loves you. He is extremely fond of you. And He loves having you as His child. So much so that He sent His begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to purchase your salvation with His blood. Let that soak into your soul for just a bit. God loves you like a good Father. And He sent His only begotten Son to save you because He loves you. Feel that. 
That's part of what this passage is about. That you would feel that. Not just know it in your head, but that it would pump in your heart as an experience, as a reality that you know, not intellectually, but in the, in the heartbeat of your life. And then this prayer has three components as you look at it. Verse 16 and 17, you have a prayer for strength. Do you see that? The Word says that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the difference between from His riches and according to His riches, right? If Jeff Bezos gives you a dime, he has given you from his riches, right? But if he gives you according to his riches, it's in proportion to the vast amount that he possesses, right? What did God do? He gave us according to his riches. Our God owns more than Jeff, amen? Just a bit. All things in creation are his, including Jeff. Uh, so all things are ours. And he has given us according to his riches. Paul is not asking, in other words, for some small portion of God's strength from his riches but according to God's lavish supply in proportion to His infinite strength that God possesses. And then He is asking not just for that strength to be present, but for it to accomplish something that God would mightily act by the Holy Spirit to enable Christ to dwell within us. Well, now, why would Paul pray that? Because Paul knows that not every person who understands the gospel believes the gospel. Amen? Lots and lots of people have grown up in church or they've been to church 50 times. I even know sometimes some pastors who have come to faith during their ministry. Right? Because they understood the gospel, but they never believed the gospel. It had never become an experience for them. It was a mere intellectual assent to some facts that the Bible presents. But to experience God's love, Christ's presence is required. So even as he is writing a letter, let's remember, to a church, Paul is not assuming that everyone within that church has had this experience. And so Paul is praying for those within that same church that those who might not yet know God would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit to enable their faith that would result in Christ's presence within their hearts.
Now, this is just a good place to stop. I'm going to do something I don't normally do and interrupt a sermon with a prayer. But I want to pray right now for everybody in here who might not yet know God. I'm going to pray this part of the prayer for them. So let's, let's pray together. God, our Heavenly Father, we know that in a room this size, there are probably people who have known what the gospel is, but have never known the Lord through it. And Father, I pray that you would strengthen their hearts through faith, given by your Holy Spirit, that Christ might dwell in them. Help them to know, Father, that Jesus died on the cross for their sins because you love them enough to send him for them. Help them to know and experience his resurrection power, which not only raised him from the dead, but also gives new life to all who believe in him. Father, I pray that at the end of this day, there would be no one here at Chillicothe Bible Church who has not had this experience of knowing the love of God from the inside as Christ comes to dwell in them. Father, help them by your Holy Spirit according to your infinite power. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you look at the rest of the text, uh, beginning verse at the end of verse 17, Um, we see this prayer that we would be rooted and grounded in God's love, first of all. You know, every growing plant, every growing plant is fed and nourished by something, right? Now, some plants are parasitic, meaning they feed on another plant, and get their nutrients from that. Some get their nutrients from the air. Some get their nutrients out of the soil. But every plant is rooted and grounded in something. And Paul is praying for us that we would be rooted and grounded in what? In the love of Christ. Because Paul knows this, that the better the soil that your life is rooted in, the more abundant the fruit and if you want your Christian life to be fed and nourished well, you're going to have to find good soil. And the best soil of all is knowing the love of Christ. You can try to feed your life to grow and be nourished by self-discipline merely. And if you do that, what you will turn into is a religiously obedient servant of God. But full joy is on offer. Knowing God as his child is available. And it is so much better than just being religiously obedient. And what Paul is asking God to do here is that we would be, having been rooted and grounded in God's love, that we would start living then out of that love 
and really know the joy that comes from knowing God's love and start to overflow in it and it goes on verse 18 that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Pastor Kent Hughes says about this, this verse, he says that when talking about the magnitude of God's love, we need to understand that it is wide enough to embrace the world. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. Wide enough to embrace everybody. It is long enough to last forever. 1 Corinthians 13.8 Love never fails. Never comes to an end. God's love is also high enough to take sinners to heaven. I love that. You read Revelation 21 and 22. Those are my two of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Because they talk about how God's love has taken sinners to heaven. And God himself will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more crying or mourning or pain or death anymore. The former things have passed away. 1 Corinthians 15 says, says, death is swallowed up in victory. It's amazing. It's high enough to take us to heaven and it is deep enough to reach the lowest sort sinner. Philippians 2 talks about how Jesus descended from heaven into the very worst sort of death. Why the very worst sort of death? So that he could save the very worst sort of people. Our sort, incidentally, in case you were curious. Now all of these things are bigger and we can really get our arms around, which is why Paul says in verse 19, he asks for one more thing. Do you see it? It's a prayer that knowing Christ's unsurpassable love would fill us with God's presence. Paul is well aware there is no way we can quite wrap our arms around God's love. One of the places that, that Karen and I love to go uh, and have been several times over the years is the Turkey Run State Park over on the western side of Indiana. And if you get a chance to go, you can you can take trail number four, which takes you over the bridge over Turkey uh, over the Turkey Run Creek, and then you um, you go into this forest. And there's all kinds of just amazing rock formations and so forth. But what there also is are these trees that must have seen a buffalo at some time in the past because they're immense and you cannot get your arms around them. In fact, it would take most of the people in my family to get my, you know, linking arms together going around these trees. They're amazing. God's love is like that. You can kind of get a, get a hold of it a little bit but it's bigger than you can wrap your arms all the way around. Nonetheless, Paul prays for us to take in as much as we can possibly hold 
as an outgrowth of our faith in Christ because in so doing, you'll be filled with God's presence. Do you see that? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. Uh, Pastor Stuart Briscoe tells a story about a boy who was taking a tour of a uh, place where they made cookies. And uh, he fell off of one of these uh, pieces of scaffolding into a vat full of molasses. And he prayed, Lord, make my capacity equal to the opportunity. <laughs> okay. It's more than he could possibly hold, right? <laughs> more than he could possibly hold, but he was like, I'm going to get as much as I can, <laughs> right? Um, and the thing is, is that God's love is so big that the more we grow, even though we live forever, the bigger we will find Him. And the bigger we will find His love to be. There's a beautiful scene in one of the Narnia books where Lucy, the little girl, comes back to Narnia and she sees Aslan, the great Christ figure lion that's present in those books. And she says to him, Aslan, you're bigger. And he goes, no, I'm the same size. But every time you grow, you will find me bigger. And God's love is like that. That as we grow, we find God's love for us bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And we go, well, I thought I understood. No, there's so much more. Look with me at, uh, at verse 20 and 21. Paul's prayer is that these things would come true in our lives, but it isn't over yet. Verse 20 and, and 21 are a doxology. A doxology is a song celebrating the fact that God is so glorious and so good and offering Him praise. And so according to verse 20, God should be praised because He is able to do more than we ask or think according to the power that is at work Within us. In other words, praise God because we can be confident that He is going to answer this prayer that we just looked at and do so in a way beyond what we have asked, beyond what we have thought, beyond what we have understood. As the Holy Spirit works in us to give us transforming faith to believe the gospel and to make a home for Christ in us and help us to experience in our own hearts and our own lives, the vastness of God's love, we will be filled with God's presence more than we can take in in the same way that taking your little mason jar to the ocean and standing next to a wave fills the, the jar with more water than it can possibly hold. That is what is going to happen. That is Paul's prayer. He is praising God already that the, with the idea that if as God answers this prayer, this will happen, that He will do more than we have asked, more than we can imagine, and fill us with His presence. And so we should pray along with Paul, what he prays in verse 21, that God would receive the glory that He is due in the church. 
and in Christ Jesus throughout all time and past it forever and ever. Amen. God has already done more than we can imagine. He is doing and will do more than we can comprehend. And He will transform us. And as you and I continually deepen our understanding of God's love, we will eternally and increasingly glorify God for what He has done and how He loves us. Now, let me say this. I am certain that at this point I have accomplished only partially what I set out to do which is to magnify God's love before you and explain His love to you in a way that transforms your spiritual life. But here's what I know, that a lot of people, a lot of people, they believe the gospel and they are grateful for the salvation that they have in Christ. But then when they picture their relationship with God and they picture coming into his presence, what they picture is God uh, sitting with his arms folded and a scowl on his face as they come in to confess their sins. That God is somehow this cosmic tyrant who is upset that we have come to him again. Why are you bothering me with your presence, right? But that is not the picture that the scripture paints. If that is the picture of a heavenly father that you derived uh, from your Bible, you read the wrong book or you read it wrongly, one or the other, okay? If that is the picture that you derive from your upbringing, it is the wrong picture. Picture that the scriptures paint of God is of a loving father who runs to meet his prodigal child and serves ribeye when he comes home. Amen? Father who loves you with an everlasting love. More than you think, more than you understand, more than you imagine, God loves you. And he demonstrated his love for you supremely in the actions that the gospel records that God's son became a man in Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life for you, who died on the cross in your place as your substitute for your sins. And then was raised from the dead to empower you, to enable you, to equip you for an eternal life in His presence. To make you in the present part of His family. God loves you. He loves you. And He saves you when you are strengthened with power from the Holy Spirit so that Christ dwells in your heart. And we're going to explore that transformation that comes. That's the rest of the book. But don't miss this. Don't miss how the transformation comes before we get to what the transformation looks like. 
what powers our transformation, what makes it all work, what is the mighty horse pulling the cart of our obedience and our conformity to Christ uh, forward in our walk with God is this. It is the wild, untamed, unstoppable, indescribable, magnificent, incomprehensible, unsurpassable love of God who dwells within you by his Holy Spirit. And he is taking you all the way along this journey home to be with him. This is the growing Christian life. The one that understands this. This is what moving toward maturity looks like. Is coming to understand more and more and more of God's love for you and in letting that reality work itself out as you, in response, love him with your life. This is the deep stuff. And if you miss this, you will miss out on the joy that God has lavished on you. And you will turn what is meant to be a wild and untamed relationship of love between you and God into an exercise of religion where you do by discipline that which you ought to do by the Spirit's empowerment. And I can tell you, having lived life that way for a period of my life, that it is not that fun. And it is a joy-sucking, dry, boring um, exercise in self-discipline and obedience. But we are not meant, men and women, to grit our teeth until glory. Okay? It is not what this is. It's not what Christianity is. Christianity is being overwhelmed by the love of God and in response to Him following. Amen? Amen. Don't miss joy. Don't miss the joy. It's, it's yours for the taking. So I want to pray that God would enact these things in us. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, I do not want a single person in this room or down the hall in Children's Church, or even the folks out on 29, or across the street, or in our neighborhood, or in our family, or in our lives, in some other way to miss out on joy. To miss out on the joy of knowing Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and was raised from the dead, and whose presence within us fills us with an understanding of your love. Father, I pray that every person here would be strengthened with power from your Holy Spirit. That by faith, Christ might dwell in their hearts. And that beyond that, Father, that Christ having taken up residence, that they would be able to understand as they grow the height 
and depth and length and width of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we might all be filled with all the fullness of God and have the joy that you intend for us to possess. Father, I pray you dismiss us from this place filled with joy. In Jesus' name, amen.